This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish Ruth with Ruth Waits with Naomi, Take My Right of Redemption, Boaz Redeems, Ruth Bears Obed, and then we head back into the New Testament with Intro to James. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the hymn, Praise the One Who Breaks the Darkness, talking about turning blindness into sight. Praise the One Who Frees the Prisoners. Well, in the Gospel reading, according to the one-year lectionary for this coming Sunday, we find Jesus doing just that, releasing prisoners from their sin and healing a blind man. In fact, the blind man sees by faith before he sees with his physical eyes. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Will Whedon will join us to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. He's assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio, called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. We come to Quinquagesima, that's the countdown, so to speak, and you have said that each one of these pre-Lent Sundays focuses on one of the solas of the Reformation. What's the sola for this coming Sunday? Well, we've kind of used them all up, so this is going to be the last one. It has to be, right? Sola fide. Faith alone. And if you think about the way that this ties together, I'd just like to quote from this uh, beautiful bulletin blurb that uh, LCMS Worship provides for this Sunday. Listen to this. Faith alone, the seeing are blind, while the one who is blind can see. Jesus tells the twelve that he's going up to Jerusalem to suffer and die and rise again, but they cannot understand or grasp what he's saying. The meaning of his words is hidden from their sight. However, As Jesus makes his way up to Jerusalem, a blind man calls out to him for mercy. This blind man sees that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, for he calls him the Son of David. Indeed, Jesus is the Lord's anointed, the keeper of the sheep, who goes to lay his life down for the sheep. He's the incarnate love of the Father, who suffers long and is kind, who is not puffed up and who never fails us. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind to see him, not according to the outward appearances of lowliness, but according to his heart of mercy and compassion. Those who behold him thus by faith follow him. 
to the cross through death into life. I think that's just a beautiful summary for the faith alone characterization of this particular Sunday, the last Sunday of Preland. The intro for this coming Sunday is from Psalm 31, and it is really a plea to God for security and protection. Yeah, a plea for salvation. I mean, the blind man sitting by the side of the road cries out, help me, save me, have pity on me. And this is what the psalm puts us all in that category. We're all the people who are crying out to God for his mercy in Christ. And so Psalm 31 has the antiphon that reads out, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. The psalm verse that was originally the whole of the psalm for this Sunday was, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Not in my righteousness, but in your righteousness, Lord, deliver me. The psalm does go on in LSB to include, into your hands I commit my spirit. You've redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Be gracious to me, for I'm in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. The glory of Patri, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, it will be forever. Amen. And then the antiphon repeats, be a rock of refuge for me a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. And of course, Christ is, in the gospel reading, going to be leading his people up to Jerusalem, where he will perform the salvation that they are begging for by offering himself as an oblation upon the cross to his Father. Back up and deal with those words, into your hand I commit my spirit. Yeah, of course, it calls to mind what Christ himself prayed on the cross. If you look at the words of Christ on the cross, all of them seem to be rooted in his constant praying of the Psalms. So this is, though, what Christ does. He commits himself to his Father, the hands of a faithful creator. And in this way, he teaches us that this is how we, too, are to suffer in our life. We're to do this by commending and committing our spirits into the hands of our Heavenly Father and trusting that he is a good and faithful creator, and he will not see us be destroyed. But rather, in Jesus, he provides for us the salvation that we're pleading for here. The Collect of the Day, again, a reference to mercy. Yeah. Oh, Lord, mercifully hear our prayers. Mercifully because we have no right to demand to be heard by God. We are entirely dependent on his mercy. Mercy just kind of runs throughout the entire set of propers today. Mercifully hear our prayers, and having set us free from the bonds of our sin, deliver us from every evil. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So it's not enough that we get the forgiveness of our sins, having been set free from the bonds of our sins. We also pray that God would rescue and deliver us from every evil that could assault or destroy our faith. When we are right here on the threshold of Lent, if you will, our prayer is that Jesus would rescue us out of every evil that we face, including very much the evils that continue to reside inside of our fallen flesh and that are always tempting us away from him. We're praying against ourselves then in that prayer when we 
It's like, Lord, don't let my old Adam have the final say in my life. Lord God, deliver me from every evil. So we come to the first reading, which is the Old Testament reading, and we have two possibilities. Yeah, let's do the shorter one first. The shorter one ties directly to the miracle and the gospel. Isaiah 35, 3-7. That also reminds us that we're in a time of exile. These are words, Isaiah 35 is this great chapter of the people of God coming home to Zion. And the mark that they're going to be brought home is that God is going to come among them and do miracles among them, showing us who he is by what he does. And thus he starts this great procession on the way home to the Father. So strengthen the weak knees and make firm the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So he's coming with vengeance on their enemies. He's coming in mercy to save his people. And when this happens, when will we know that this this is what's taking place? These amazing words. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the layman shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass will become reeds and rushes. This picture of the wilderness being reversed by Eden, by the presence of God in the flesh coming among us and opening a way for us to pass through this wilderness in the comfort and joy of his presence as he brings us home. And the big sign were the miracles, the things which Jesus did, which no one else has ever done or could ever do. This opening of blind eyes, this unstopping of deaf ears, the lame man leaping like a deer. You think of the man that uh, Peter and John healed in the temple, right? You know, or that Jesus healed through Peter and John and how he, he was walking and leaping and praising God. And this tongue of the mute singing for joy. You think of the tongue-tied man who uh, whose mouth was loosed and he began to sing the praises of God. So this is the water, the, the gospel water that bursts out into the wilderness of this world and it transforms it and it makes it be a path with Christ home to the Father. But the path leads through suffering and death before it arrives at the resurrection and eternal life. The other possibility for an Old Testament reading is the account um, in 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. What do we find there? Yeah, this is the uh, the selection of David. And David, of course, is big because the guy in the gospel reading is going to cry out to Jesus as the son of David. So 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Saul said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, 
do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So you have this beautiful story of how David came to be selected. I love that line in the middle. Uh, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I, I still remember hearing a teacher say, as a woman, and she, she said, ladies, you need to pay attention to this verse. Man looks on the outward appearance. <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that men look on the outward appearance and women don't. It means humanity. We tend to look on the outward appearance, and that's what we judge by. But we shouldn't judge the book by its cover, should we? The Lord is the one who looks on the heart. And he has found in David a man, he says, after his own heart, a man who will do his will. Not a sinless man, not David, but the sinless man would be David's son, the descendant of David. And, you know, the mention of Bethlehem and Jesse, this should all connect. If any of the listeners here listen to my podcast, we just were doing Ruth, right? And the whole point of the book of Ruth is to get us down to the story of David. And it centers on Bethlehem and how God there uh, is at work preparing salvation. Not an accident. And as David is the shepherd, so Christ will come to be the shepherd. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary when we come back, The Gradual in Psalm 77. What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world. 
specifically pastors who are asking for additional education, but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. The Faith Once for All Delivered to the Saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization, one student at a time. A blind sinner is carried to baptism administered by a pastor. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. That was the epiphany event where our eyes were opened to see the amazing grace of God in the very face of Jesus. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Headed toward Luke chapter 8, verse 31, where Jesus foretells his death for a third time and heals a blind beggar. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. First, we come to the gradual, which I believe is from Psalm 77. Yeah. Thinking about the miracles of Jesus, you know, think about that's the the, sort of the context. You're the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people the children of Jacob and Joseph. So you can't help but hear as we're reading this this snippet from the psalm how it ties to Jesus himself being the one who spreads out his arms on the cross to redeem his people and the one who made himself known by the mighty works that he did, the miracles particularly of healing and power. The psalm is, again, a choice between Psalm 89, 18, beginning there, or Psalm 146. And this choice between the two psalms seems to be whether you're going to be emphasizing, um, you know, if you're, if you're using the First uh, Samuel uh, 16 reading, then you want to use Psalm 89 as your psalm. If you're using the reading for uh, Isaiah 35, that fits better with Psalm 146. So let's see how that works. Psalm 89 For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. Verse 20 is the uh, antiphon, so this is the key why it's chosen. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him, my arm shall also strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. 
my faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I have set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, his throne as the days of the heavens. So, I mean, you can see how beautifully that fits with um, God anointing David and how Jesus, as the son of David, anointed with the Holy Spirit, is indeed coming to uh, Jerusalem in order to establish that righteousness, that faithfulness, which will endure forever. Psalm 146 picks up more the idea of the healing. The the antiphon is from verse two. We'll get to it in a second. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord of my soul. Then this is the antiphon. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Notice praise is where the gospel reading ends up. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. But blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. Ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Who is, I mean, this is, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is Yahweh. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. Yahweh watches over the sojourners and upholds the widow and fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Yahweh will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise Yahweh. Jesus in the gospel is revealing himself as Yahweh in the flesh. That brings us to our epistle reading that takes us into the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, very familiar territory to many, the first 13 verses. Yeah, the uh, the hymn to love, as it's sometimes called. I, I just read recently in, in Caberly's little book on quest for holiness, uh, justification and sanctification. He makes the comment there that Paul would never have been able to write this hymn of praise to love if he had not known the shape of Christ's earthly life and ministry. Because he says that's what this is a depiction of. It's a depiction of when love showed up among us in human flesh and blood and acted. Paul is describing Christ's own life here in these words. So keeping Jesus in mind, consider these words. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Just a stunning, stunning passage. And it is all about Christ himself. And this is what his life has shown to us. Love is, think about John's words from his first epistle, God is love. This is a description of who our God is. And if we were made in his image and we've fallen from his image, to the extent that our lives no longer reflect love like this, we've fallen from him. But Christ comes among us as the image of God that we might see this love again. And nowhere will we see it as clearly as upon his cross, which is where he's heading in the gospel reading for today, and of which he speaks explicitly. So we need to pay attention to the tract What does it say? The tract is from Psalm 100, verses 1 to 3, and it is just different from what we've heard before. In in the previous two Sundays, the tract has been sort of an extension, extended word of complaint and sorrow going on. And all of a sudden, the tract is jubilant. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, to Yahweh, all the earth. Serve Yahweh with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that Yahweh, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And I really believe, given the gospel reading for today, you are intended to hear that tract saying to you, make a joyful noise to Jesus, who is Yahweh in the flesh. And all the earth is called upon to serve him with gladness and to join in the song of praise that bursts out wherever he is present and leading his people on their way home to his Father. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We will come to that gospel reading we've been talking about next. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the Internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. 
Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the New Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. Hi, this is Pastor Eric Lang of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Gresham, Oregon. One thing I've asked of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Mount Hood, Multnomah Falls, the Oregon coast. Oregon is beautiful, but nothing compares to the beauty of the Lord's house. If you are vacationing in the Portland area, please come join us at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Gresham, where the liturgy lives and God's people worship as one. For more information, go to wherethelitergylives.org. The Evangelical Lutheran Church holds that it is God who raises up men to serve His Holy Bride through His office of the Holy Ministry. At Concordia University, Chicago, we prepare men to take the first step on the path by which God leads them to His pastoral office. Are you ready to take the step? I'm Dr. James Ambrose Lee, Chair of the Division of Theology at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more about the pre-seminary program at CUC by visiting cuchicago.edu. CUChicago.edu. Theology for blue collar, white collar, and clerical collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through his word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming Servants in Jesus Christ to Teach the Faithful, Reach the Lost, and Care for All. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning with Pastor Will Whedon, according to the one-year lectionary. Here's an excerpt from Pastor Whedon's column, Inwardly Digest God's Word from the Issues Etc. Journal. If God has given us his scriptures for us to learn from and to fill us with hope of everlasting life, it is not enough for us to give them a casual listen. He would rather have us devour them. You can subscribe to the online Issues Etc. Journal absolutely free. Just go to our website, issuesetc.org, click the red subscription button on the right-hand column and enter your email address. We'll send you the next Issues Etc. journal absolutely free. Pastor Whedon, we come now to the gospel reading we've been discussing in part, and that's Luke chapter 8, verses 31 through 43. Taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything 
that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what it meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now let's work our way through this in a little bit of detail. Taking the twelve aside, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything written by the prophets about the Son of Man is going to come true. Third and final prediction of the Passion in Luke's gospel. Each grew more explicit. Immediately before the transfiguration, following Peter's confession, Jesus prophesies the Son of Man is destined to suffer grievously, to be rejected by the elders and chief priests, and be put to death, and be raised on the third day. After the transfiguration and healing of the epileptic, he said, For your part, you must have these words constantly in mind. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the power of men. Only Luke immediately juxtaposes the third passion prediction, a prediction to the healing of the blind man. Seeing Jesus' passion as the fulfillment of the prophets, of course, is a big theme in Luke's work. It shows up Luke 24, verses 25 and 27 and 44. It's in Acts 2, verse 23, and Acts 3, verse 18 and 24. It just keeps on going on. In addition, though, to the usual citation from the prophets, I kind of wonder if Jesus also had in mind this passage from the book of wisdom. Let us lay traps for the upright man, since he annoys us and opposes our way of life, reproaches us for our sins against the law, and accuses us of sins against our upbringing. He claims to have knowledge of God and calls himself a child of the Lord. We see him as a reproof to our way of thinking. The very sight of him weighs our spirits down. For his kind of life is not like other people's, and his ways are quite different. In his opinion, we are all counterfeit. He avoids our ways as he would filth. He proclaims the final end of the upright as blessed and boasts of having God for his father. Let us see if what he says is true and test him to see what sort of end he will have. For if the upright man is God's son, God will help and rescue him from the clutches of his enemies." Let us test him with cruelty and with torture and thus explore this gentleness of his and put his patience to the test. Let us condemn him to a shameful death 
since God will rescue him, so he claims. This is the way they reason, but they were misled, since their malice made them blind. They do not know the hidden things of God. They do not hope for the reward of holiness. They do not believe in a reward for blameless souls. That's from the book of Wisdom, chapter 2, verses 12 through 22. I think it also powerfully predicts the passion of the Lord. In verse 32, he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and maltreated and spit on. So this is the first time that it's mentioned that Jesus will be handed over to the Gentiles. And you realize that means he knows exactly what kind of death he is going to be doomed to die. It's going to be on a cross. Verse 33, and when they have scourged him, they will put him to death. And on the third day, he will rise again. And I can't remember which of the fathers, but one of them noted that our Lord chose to rise on the third day to confound his enemies and to comfort his friends. He didn't rise on the first day, lest any should say that he hadn't really died. He didn't rise on the second day because he wanted to sanctify our graves by having one of his own. And then he did rise the third day because he was not willing to let his people grieve any longer. I just love that. I think it's so beautiful. Verse 34, but when they could make nothing of this, what he said was obscure to them. They did not understand what he was telling them. You know, if we were to paraphrase it, we might say dumb, dumber, and dumbest. I mean, they're just not getting what he plainly said. They were blind. They could not see that the righteous one, the innocent one, should suffer and through his suffering open a way through death for the homecoming of God's people, God's vindication of the innocent sufferer and thereby his rescue of humanity. But if the disciples miss it, if they can't see it, if they don't get it, others who have no sight can. So verse 35, now it happened as he drew near to Jericho, there was a blind man sitting on the side of the road begging. Jericho, you know, where Joshua first led the Israelites in triumph over their enemies into the land of promise. Now a greater Joshua is preparing to go up to Jerusalem to fight the real enemies who make the Canaanites look like a bunch of wusses. The blind man begs at Jericho, and he's the image of humanity. Blinded by Satan, he's the image of contrite humanity with his hands outspread, begging from the Lord. No claims, just seeking gifts. Verse 36, when he heard the crowd going past, he asked what it was all about. So the seekers ask when they hear the crowd and the noise of the church and people around Jesus, the, you know, the catechumens are like, what's all this commotion about? What, what, what's it all? What's, what's going on? Verse 37, and they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. He's told that the commotion is all about Jesus who is passing by right then. The verb for passing by, as in what Jesus would have done to the disciples in the boat on the lake. It's an interesting one. It seems that when Yahweh wishes to pass by, he's always doing so to manifest his glory. Jesus is passing by because he's on his way to Jerusalem, where on a cross, he will manifest the glory of God like nowhere else ever. Verse 38 so he called out, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. This is faith's cry. Jesus is given his messianic title, son of David, and the beggar asks for mercy and pleads for pity. But, verse 39, the people in front scold him and tell him to keep quiet. And he shouts out all the louder, son of David, have pity on me. 
I wonder if we were to see in this story the people around Jesus as the church and the beggar as the catechumens. We're getting ready for Lent where the catechumens will be instructed and brought finally to the waters of baptism and given to Jesus. But do we ever silence their pleas for Jesus' pity? Do we ever tell them to shut up and stop making a scene? If so, we're rebuked by Jesus' own actions. Verse 40, Jesus stopped and ordered them to bring the man to him. And when he came up, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, sir, let me see again. A couple things there. Even on the way to the cross and resurrection, Jesus will stop at a cry for pity. He is the welcoming and embracing love of Yahweh in our flesh and blood. And the cry of the man, let me see again. I mean, the Greek has that ana blepo, and it ana to see it one more time. He evidently had been a seeing man, but he had become blind. His request showed that he must already have known about Jesus because he knew he had the power to heal and that he did not turn away from people who cry out to him. And Jesus then says to him, receive your sight or, you know, see again. Your faith has saved you. And I wonder, though, if there's a paradox that the Greek, again, is see again. He's already seen with the eyes of faith the truth that is in Jesus, is healing. So now he gets to see with the eyes of his body. See again. See not just with the insight of faith, but see also with the eyes of the body. And Jesus tells him his faith is what rescued him or saved him instrumentally, of course. And then verse 43, he instantly received his sight and he followed him, praising God. God and all the people who saw it gave praise to God. So from sight to discipleship or following, which is described not only in terms of following after Jesus, but also in terms of worship and praise. And Todd, this is one of Luke's favorite themes, right? Zechariah, when his speech returns, he immediately begins glorifying and praising God. Luke 1.64, Luke 2.20, the shepherds return after seeing Christ praising God. Simeon and Anna bless and praise God after they encounter Christ in the temple. In Luke 5, the healing of the paralytic results in the crowds all bursting out in praise of God. Luke 7.16, when Jesus raises the widow of Nain's son, the crowds begin praising God. The crippled woman in Luke 13, she's healed on the Sabbath and stands up and praises God. The uh, Samaritan leper in Luke 17, he returns thanking Jesus, praising God for healing. The, uh, in Luke 19, verse 37, the crowds are praising God as Jesus enters Jerusalem. The centurion at the cross praises God, Luke 23, verse 47. And after the ascension, the disciples are continually in the temple doing what? Praising God. So I think there's a lot more to this than just gratitude toward God for what he's done for us in Jesus. The point is that what he's done in Christ has restored our lives to be lives of continual praise, which is what we were made for from the beginning. Psalm 34 is where it's at. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That is the homecoming song of Christ's people as they journey with Christ through suffering and death to resurrection and ascension, they sing songs the whole way. We didn't go all the way there in Isaiah 35, but remember where it ends, that the redeemed of the Lord return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads. Lent is the time of our return to following. Lent is our time to learn to sing again 
As we walk the road, Jesus walks. The road that leads through suffering and through death into life unending. I'm sorry that was all so piled together there, but that gospel reading is just so densely packed with good stuff. You said regarding Jesus' words, your faith has saved you. You said instrumentally. We need to explore that a little bit. Yeah. In other words, faith always saves not by something that it does, but it's an instrument of reception. So his faith laid hold of Christ who saved him. When Christ says, your faith saved you, he's not saying that Jesus didn't save him. He's saying that your faith grabbed hold of the right one. And that one delivered to your faith the gift that you asked for. Faith is what it is given. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We will talk about some of the hymns that we will encounter this coming Sunday next. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the Word of the Lord endures forever. Theology has consequences. It doesn't live just in ivory towers, but actually in the very choices and daily lives of God's people as they live out what they believe and confess in the world. To learn more about how theology affects our daily lives, this February issue of The Lutheran Witness discusses how the theology of Simonex affected the very lives of God's people in the LCMS and how God worked to preserve his church. Visit cph.org slash witness to subscribe. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Sanctifying your commute with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Will, what are some of the hymns that we might encounter this coming Sunday? Well, you know, the hymn of the day is, got that beautiful little Appalachian tune, Praise the One Who Breaks the Darkness. Listen to the words and think about the gospel reading. Praise the One Who Breaks the Darkness with the Liberating Light. I mean, stop for a second. Just think about being the blind man and having the darkness there. I mean, you can't see anything. And you're begging for Jesus to let you be able to see the light again. And he does. Praise the one who frees the prisoners, turning blindness into sight. Praise the one who preached the gospel, healing every dread disease, calming storms, feeding thousands with the very bread of peace. Praise the one who blessed the children with a strong yet gentle word. Praise the one who drove out demons with a piercing two-edged sword. 
Praise the one who brings cool waters to the desert's burning sand. There's the Old Testament reading again. From this well, which is Jesus, comes living water, quenching thirst in every land. Let us praise the word incarnate. Christ, who suffered in our place, heading to Jerusalem to suffer in our place. Jesus died and rose victorious that we may know God by grace. Let us sing for joy and gladness, seeing what our God has done. Let us praise the true Redeemer. Praise the one who makes us one. Just a beautiful little hymn for a hymn of the day, but it just nails the, the way that the Isaiah reading and the gospel reading tie so beautifully together. And in all of it, he's showing to us the love which is described in the epistle reading. Another hymn that would be very fitting for this day, of course, is let us ever walk with Jesus, you know, or Christ be my leader. You're following him as Christ is going up the road to Jerusalem. That's the invitation of the church to our children on this Sunday. Let's go up to Jerusalem with Jesus, praising God as we see him work the great salvation that will set us all free, that will open up the way for us to come home. Talk about the liturgical connection that we have with this particular uh, gospel reading for the coming Sunday, and that is the church is really continuously crying, Lord, have mercy upon us. Yeah, you can't go to a, a divine service and not start, you know, paying attention to how often that Kyrie eleison rings out. This man here is just a picture of all of us, and that shows as we pick up the divine service. We start out with the Kyrie, Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy. Well, we ask his mercy first in the confession of sins, but then Lord of mercy, Christ of mercy, Lord of mercy. It's in the Gloria and Excelsis, which today will be sounded for the last Sunday until we get to Easter again. So it's going to be sung today, and then it will fall silent like the Alleluia had already fallen silent. This is a deepening silence and stillness of, of Lent, if you will. And then the, 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 the have mercy continues to cry out in the offertory and, and in the unused day where we're confessing to Christ that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have mercy, have mercy, grant us peace. The, the church's joy in the mercy of Christ is simply strung all the way through the entirety of the divine liturgy. It strikes me that one of the qualities that is sadly, in many cases, tragically lacking in our kind of latter-day society is the quality of mercy. And I seem to think one of the apostles warns us that in the last days, love will grow cold. Right, right, Paul. That, that love's going to grow cold. Even human love will be bereft. Our human love is only, I mean, to, to the extent that we have any love, it's always something that's borrowed from, donated from God himself, and we twist it and distort it in various ways. Love itself is from God. Love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, says St. John. And so this lack of mercy that's sort of prevalent throughout our world and culture today is a sign of how far humanity has come disconnected from the very life of God himself, which was intended always to be our life. That love, that mercy was intended to show and shine in us. Jesus is the only one in whom it's shown so perfectly, so flawlessly, so purely. And he came into the flesh to actually restore that life of mercy to us, 
to the extent that uh, Western culture had imbibed that mercy and that understanding of mercy from the Lord Jesus. To that extent, we became a culture of mercy. And as we've forgotten now our connection to Christ on the wide scale in our culture, it begins to show by people treating one another the way that they do, without mercy, without compassion. What did this blind man believe about Jesus that caused him to cry out for mercy from the man he acknowledged to be the coming Messiah? Yeah, to call him son of David was to say basically, Jesus, I've heard the things you're doing all around Judea and Galilee, and I know that that means you are the fellow described by Isaiah in chapter 35. You are the one who can open the blind eyes. You are the one who has good news for the poor. You're the one anointed by the Spirit of God to bring salvation to the world. And so he recognizes that fully in Jesus, and he begs him for his mercy. Two things. It shows that faith comes by hearing. Yeah. That this man didn't see anything that Jesus had done. No. But he'd heard the words. I mean, think about it. They didn't have phones. They didn't have TV or radio. But, but my goodness, you have somebody doing the crazy things Jesus of Nazareth does in a confined geographical area. How long is it going to take for word of this to be spread all over the place? And so, yes, he had heard of the wonderful things Jesus has done. And there he is, blind. He can't really go very far or travel very far. But when he hears that Jesus is passing right by where he's sitting. It's like, this is his golden opportunity and faith will not let him shut up. He just cries out nonstop for mercy. And speaking of faith, and that's the theme of this coming Sunday, you are about to begin a study of the book of James, which Dr. David Scare has dubbed the apostle, the apostle of, of faith. faith. So what yeah. should we look forward on the word of the Lord endures forever? Oh, the book of James is a really delightful book. It's a glimpse that we get into an early form of Christianity, really. It was still when Christianity was still very Jewish. James never really—he received the commission along with the others to go and bring the gospel to all the nations, but his ministry really did mostly center upon the Jewish people. And so it has that distinctly Jewish cast to the way it's written. And that provides an interesting foil, if you will, to St. Paul, who's thrust out among the Gentiles and has to deal with all of these Gentile questions and situations that come his way. James is still very much, if you will, inside the Jewish tent. And that makes this book be very interesting. And at the heart of the book, that is his discussion of faith and works. And I'm really looking forward to going over that with our listeners. Folks, you can listen to Pastor Whedon's study on James at thewordendures.org, Amazon, Alexa, Google Home, Apple HomePod, the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app, or your favorite podcast provider. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. Pastor Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and see my Savior's hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Well, thanks. Thank you, Todd. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll get an update on a lawsuit involving Concordia University, Texas, and the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Our guest will be Attorney Tom Halverson, and we'll continue our series with Dr. Paul Robbie, author of the Book of the Month, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening.
Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri is a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. And if you enjoy the relevant Christ-centered teachings presented on this program, then you should come and join us at St. Paul's on Sundays at 9 a.m., where you will hear sermons that proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins and enjoy in-depth Bible studies to help us grow as disciples. For more information, check us out at stpaullutheranwildwood.org.